Brother Abel. I appreciate that. Aren't you glad to reach down for you? Amen. And for me. Amen. Well, what a blessing. Uh, we, wanna, we want to uh, go to the Word tonight, and so take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Genesis chapter number 18. And if it's all right, we're going to read the same scripture that we read this morning. And uh, we're going to take the whole month, and we're going to talk to you about this subject, Finding Victory in a Failing World. I, boy, I had a good time this morning. And I don't have much of a voice at all tonight, but we're just going to do our best to get through this this evening. And if I can't preach it, I'll teach it, and we'll just, whatever the case may be, but we'll, we'll try to maneuver through this uh, as, as quickly as I can tonight and uh, try to get you out here at a good time. And so Genesis chapter number 18, I'm not even going to review tonight. I, normally, when I preach a message in two parts, I normally take a little time in the Sunday night service to at least review just a little bit. I'm not going to do that tonight. We're just going to, and we're just going to pretty much jump right into some fresh material because I just, uh, man, I've got so much I want to share with you tonight. So Genesis chapter 18, when you find your place, let's all stand tonight if you're able, out of respect for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 18 and verse number one, the Bible says, and the Lord appeared unto him, talking about Abraham, in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. He said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that, ye shall pass on. For therefore you come to your servant. And they said, so do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it and, and make cakes upon the hearth. And, and Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he dressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. Now, same chapter. Turn over, if you will, to verse number 16. The Bible says in verse 16, And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him. Well, I can't get over that verse right there. For I know him. That he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it which is coming to me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence, and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And we said this morning that only two of the three went to Sodom. And the one that stayed behind, of course, was the Lord. But I want you to turn over to Genesis 19. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 1. And there came two angels to Sodom. And we're going to use this both of these passages tonight. There came to uh, two angels, to Sodom and even. And Lot sat at the gate of Sodom 
And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly. And they turned in unto him and entered into the house, and he made them a feast and did make bacon, leavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city... Even the men of Sodom come past the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Now you study that out for yourself. But that's a very sexual term there. You say, Pastor, is that as demented as it sounds? And it, it is. But boy, it gets worse. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. And look at verse 7, church. And said, I pray you. What's the next word? What in the world is Lot doing calling Sodomites brethren? I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Let me give you an alternative. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. By the way, some people say that that's a very controversial passage and that it doesn't mean what people say it means. And I want to say, you know, there's not a whole lot of ways you can read that passage. And so you may be seated tonight. And just for a few moments, I want to talk to you once again about that subject, the contrast between Abraham and Lot. The contrast between Abraham and Lot. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to help us. And I'll do my best to, to get through this pretty quickly tonight, best I can. And so let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege to be back at Calvary. Lord, thank you for bringing the Howards our way tonight. I pray that you'd bless them and their family, and their ministry. And God, as they have a desire to make their way to southern Utah and uh, establish uh, a gospel-preaching church there, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd give them the desires of their heart. Lord, I pray now that you'll come, and I pray that you'll meet with us tonight at Calvary. Father, thank you for teaching us this morning, and I pray that you'd teach us, Lord, some other wonderful truths tonight. And I pray that Jesus will receive all the praise and the glory from all that's done. Lord, help us to be the Christians that you want us to be. Lord, we had some folks who walked out of here this morning that raised their hands, who said they were lost without Christ, and they never responded. Lord, I pray tonight would be the night that they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, just do a work of grace in all of our hearts and I know it's easy for me because I'm up here moving around and, and preaching, and I know it's, it, it gets real hard sometimes to listen. 
And so I pray right now, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, that you give your people a supernatural dose of stamina. And God, help them to not only be able to listen, but be able to listen intently and, and gain something from your precious book tonight. Help us. Give us power, please. We love you and praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake and all God's people said, amen. And so we're showing you a contrast between, uh, between Abraham and Lot. This morning, we took the opportunity to talk about, number one, religion and relationship. Uh, religion leaves you empty. Relationship makes all the difference in the world. And I'm glad I don't have a religion. Thank God I've got a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, I'm just gonna, we're just gonna jump right into it tonight. But there's another contrast tonight that I wanna show you quickly. Number two, between Abraham and Lot. Number two, we see the difference between priority and possessions. Priority and possessions. Now, again, this is just sort of really uh, uh, just interesting. But notice this tonight, church. We noticed that when Abraham was divinely visited, Interestingly, the Bible says that he sat in the tent door. Did y'all notice that? Look if you at Genesis chapter 18, verse number one. The Bible says in Genesis 18, verse one, and the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, talking about Abraham, and he sat, Abraham sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Now, what's Abraham doing? Well, he's trying to get some cool. It's hot, there's no air conditioning. And what's hot right there close to the Dead Sea and uh, and so Abraham is seated in the door of the tent. There's a, probably a little breeze that's uh, flowing right there. And so that's where we find Abraham. He's sitting in the door of the tent. But we see with Lot, when the angels came to Lot, we noticed that Lot sat in the gate. Look, if you will, at Genesis chapter 19 and verse number 1. The Bible says there came two angels to Sodom and even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot seeing them rose up to meet them. The gate, the gate. What is the gate, preacher? Well, the gate speaks of government. And so somehow or another, and I don't know exactly how, but somehow or another, Lot has not just moved to Sodom, but Lot has worked his way up in somehow in the government of Sodom. I don't know if he was the mayor city council, uh, governor, I'm not exactly sure what he did, but the Bible says he sat in the gate, but not just the gate, but he sat in the gate of Sodom. You know what that tells us? That tells us that Lot was willing to do anything he had to do to have stuff. Regardless of what it took or who he had to step on, even if it meant compromising to the worst degree. And so here Abraham is, this great patriarch of the faith, and he's seated in the tent door. And yet Lot is seated in the gate or the government, if you will, of Sodom. Now here's the contrast. In Abraham, although Abraham's not seated in the gate, Abraham's just sitting in the, in the tent door he doesn't have a place of prominence necessarily. He's not the mayor. He's not a politician. He's not an elected official. We just see him sitting in the tent door. But our Bible shows us that Abraham is enjoying godly contentment. Abraham's attitude was this. I'll sacrifice, if that's what it takes, to be obedient to the Lord. 
I'll be content sitting in the tent door. That's what's necessary to serve God. But get this now, church, because this is so great. And I wish I had a voice to preach this tonight. I just don't. But so you're going to have to just try to get it the best you can tonight. But here's the great thing. Here's the picture, though. Although Abraham is not sitting in the gate, Abraham is not seated in a place of prominence. Abraham is seated in the tent door. You know what we find? We find Abraham has abundance all around him. He's got family. He's got divine favor. Abraham has provision. Abraham has protection. Abraham has a roof over his head. Abraham has sandals on his feet. Abraham has peace. Now, I said that to say this. You know what? It is a sad, sad day because we see more and more people that are sacrificing just so they can have stuff. Sacrificing their walk with God, sacrificing their church attendance. Oh, wish I had a voice to preach that tonight. And I mean, just giving up their Bible time, giving up their quiet time, uh, not dedicated to God. They'll tell you that they're saved, but not living for God. All because they're trying to get more and more stuff and accumulate more stuff. And it seems to me this, the man who dies with the most toys wins. I found this this week. Someone said the world we live in says grab on, hold tightly, squeeze till you get what you want. And Jesus teaches a paradox. You can never touch what you grab for and you can't keep what you think you're holding. As soon as you think you've piled up the good life and made your mark, it'll come crashing down like the Twin Towers on 9-11 Wanting to be served, we lose it all. Now, I want to show you if I just use a, a visual because a, a picture's worth a thousand words. And so let me see if I can get this out here tonight. And so I can honestly say I've never used this visual tonight, all right? And uh, I don't know if you can see what that is. But anyway, Brother Ricky, get ready because it's coming to you, all right? And uh, no. Uh, well, it's a boomerang. It's a boomerang, and it's got all the neat, uh, some of the uh, Australian, you know, some of the things in the bush, it's got some of the neat things on it, and uh, you know what a boomerang is, you've seen a boomerang before, and so this is just an illustration, it's a well-known fact about a boomerang that once it's thrown, it returns to the thrower. Now, if I asked you, give me something about a boomerang, you'd say, oh yeah, those are neat, man. You throw it and it goes around and around and around and it comes back and gets you. That's one of the facts that are most well known. The least remembered fact about a boomerang is this. A boomerang was never intended to come back. A boomerang is intended to be a weapon and it only returns if it misses the target. Now, did you know tonight, Calvary, if you keep throwing and throwing and trying to achieve, achieve success apart from the will of God, 
You know what's going to happen? You're going to keep on missing the mark, missing the mark, missing the mark, missing the mark. By the way, that's why so many people who have the nicest cars, the nicest homes, they have big bank accounts, and yet they keep throwing, they keep throwing, and it just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. And by the way, every time it comes back, it comes back a little bit more scratched up and a little bit more dinged and a little bit more dented. And uh, listen, if you keep trying to achieve life apart from the will of God, you and me are going to keep on missing it. And so I'm just saying this, hey, don't, don't, don't be after possessions. I remember years ago in our church, it's been many, many years ago, we had a, a, a couple in our church, they were doing so good. They started coming to Calvary, man, they were just growing by leaps and bounds. And unfortunately, this seems to be the way it is a lot of times. Just growing in the Lord, started getting faithful, started coming to Sunday school, started, uh, you know, getting faithful to church services and revival. And it wasn't long before uh, the husband came and, and he said, preacher, he said, I feel like maybe God's calling me to preach and uh, God wants to use me and I want God to use me. And, and by the way, God was using him. And they were doing good. I mean, they were really growing. and God was using them. They were doing good. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget it. And it's been, it's been probably well over 20 years ago. And uh, that little family came to me. And they said, preacher, they said, uh, we've got an opportunity at a job. But. And boy, that but will kill you. We've got an opportunity to job, and this has been 20, 25 years ago, and they told me how much they were going to be making, and it was. It was a lot of money. And they said, Preacher, we've got an opportunity to, to get this job, but it's going to pull us out of church some. You know what, church? I couldn't put my blessing on that. You say, Pastor, I mean, they'd be making tons of money. You're right. You say, preacher, they might be able to, they might be able to buy a bigger home. You're right. You say, but, 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 but preacher, they might be able to buy, uh, you know, a, a, one of the nicest cars that money comes. You're right. But I couldn't put my blessing on it. Well, even though I didn't put my blessing on it, they took the job. And, and you know what happened? What happened was, just, was just what I thought was going to happen. Little by little by little, it not only pulled them out of church on work day, but then they started missing when they wasn't working. And uh, they started missing on Sunday night. Then they started missing on Sunday morning. Started missing Sunday school. You say, well, pastor, no. Let me tell you something, church. And then it wasn't long before we got word they're having issues. It wasn't long before we heard they're having problems in their marriage. It wasn't long before we heard they're splitting up. It wasn't long before we heard the house was just blowing up like, a, like somebody uh, stuck a, a stick of dynamite in it. Now, you say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Don't ever put possessions over the Lord. Make sure that you seek him. Make sure that you seek his will. And yet we find in Lot a man who was just all about possessions. And so we see priority and then we see possessions. And man, you pray for me tonight. Man, I'm having a time. Last of all, but we're going to stay here for a few minutes. We see the difference between devotion and duty. Now I want you to look tonight, if you will, please, at Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 1. Genesis 18, verse number 1. I'll do, this, I'll do the best I can. 
The Bible says in Genesis 18, 1, that this is Abraham's encounter. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, the Bible says he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. Now pay, pay close attention to the words. Bowed himself toward the ground and said, my Lord, if thou have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that, you shall pass on. For therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, so do as thou hast said. Now that was Abraham's encounter. Now I want you to turn over one page to Genesis chapter 19 and look at verse number one. Now I want us to look at Lot's encounter. Genesis 19 verse one. And there came two angels to Sodom and even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot seeing them rose up to meet them, bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds very similar. And he said, Behold now, my Lord, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. Now, as I read these stories the other day, Genesis 18 talking about Abraham, Genesis 19 talks about Lot. And as I read these stories, I thought they sound almost, almost identical. Except one major point. The Bible tells us in verse number two, Genesis 18, verse two, would you look there, Genesis 18, verse two? The Bible says, and he's talking about Abraham, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him, and when he saw them, the Bible says he ran to meet them. Look at Genesis 19, verse number one. And there came two angels to Sodom and even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot seeing them, What's it say? Rose up. Abraham ran to meet his divine appointment and Lot simply rose up to meet his. Now, the Bible says about Abraham's encounter that three men stood by him. So I, and I, I want to know, uh, okay, let me see if I can give you what I got in Bible study. So the Bible says that three men stood by Abraham and he and he ran to meet them. And I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute now. If three men are standing by him, why does he have to rise and then ran and, and run to meet them? So I looked it up. I looked up that word. Three men stood by him. And it means this. It means to be stationed. And so what's going on here is this. Abraham is sitting in the tent door in the cool of the day trying to get some, a, a breeze. And all of a sudden he looks up and there are three men that are stationed by him. They're over here somewhere. And Abraham sees them from the tent door. And when Abraham sees them, the Bible says about this old, and by the way, he was old. He was old. The Bible says they were well stricken in age. He was not a young man. And the Bible says when Abraham, he's sitting in the tent door, he's getting some breeze, and he's just meditating and he looks up and he sees these men standing by him. The Bible says he rose up and he ran. He ran to meet them. But our Bible says about Lot that when Lot had his encounter that he just rose up. 
Now, let me tell you what I see right there. I see with Abraham, I see a sense of urgency. In fact, look back at verse number six, Genesis 18 and verse number six. The Bible says in verse number six, and Abraham hastened into the tent under Sarah and said, make ready quickly, honey. We've got some supernatural visitors. Hurry, hurry. Make ready quickly. Three measures of fine meal. Knead it. Make cakes of, uh, up, upon the hearth. Verse 7. Here it is again. Verse 7. And Abraham ran under the herd and fetched a calf, a tender and good, and gave it unto a young man. And he hasted to dress it. Y'all see that? There's a sense of urgency. With Abraham, we see an excitement to host the Lord. An eagerness to see the Lord stay. And I wrote this down in big bold letters. What we see in Abraham is true devotion. In fact, look at it. Verse number three. Verse number three. Abraham and said, my Lord, if thou have found favor in thy sight, pass not away. Pass not away. Don't leave. Don't go away. Stay for a while. I pray thee from thy servant, let a little water, I pray you, be fetched wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And so with Abraham, we see true devotion, but with Lot, with Lot, we see not devotion, but we see a sense of duty. He's doing what he felt he had to do. By the way, not because he wanted to do it, because he felt he had to do it. Let me, again, I apologize for my voice tonight. Can you hear me okay? Can you hear this growl okay tonight? Lot didn't do what he did out of devotion. Lot did what he did because he knew something. I got to get these guys out of the street. And while we were going on our trip, man, I'm just studying this out and I'm telling you God's given me some stuff. And I, I, and I read things on Sodom that I've never read before. Listen to this. These angels, when they came to Lot, they said, they said, no, we're just going to stay in the street. And Lot said, oh, no, 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 no. You can't stay in the street. You, you've got to come in. You've got to come in. Did you know that some historians believe that Sodom had grown so prideful and selfish, listen to this, Calvary, that it actually became against the law to help out someone in need. The provision of bread and water to the poor became a capital offense. I found this, one historian, listen to this, I found this, one historian said this about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Two girls, two girls, one poor and the other rich, went to a well, and the former gave the latter her jug of water, receiving in return a vessel containing bread. When this became known, both were burned alive. In fact, I went on to find out that there are some reports that say that possibly even one of Lot's daughters were burnt, was burned alive because she gave bread to a poor man. In fact, it's believed that if strangers made their way into Sodom, they not only were refused hospitality, but my dear friend, they were most certainly abused. Listen. This is a terrible illustration. Have you ever watched one of these, and this is what I kept thinking about. Have you ever watched one of these westerns where some cowboy rides into this far and remote town that he's never been in and he thinks 
It's just a normal everyday town. And what he finds out is it's weird. I mean, the people are weird. And before he's able to get out of that town, they end up hijacking him and, you know, taking his horse and putting him in jail and threatening to hang him and all that kind of thing. And he just, and all he did was just come through town. That's the idea of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so these men come to Lot and they say, we're just going to abide in the street. And Lot said, oh no, 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 no. That's not even an option. You, you, you can't do that. And so Lot took these men in. Uh, 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 and, and notice this too, notice this too. But, and we noticed that, that he not only took them in, but he had an eagerness to see them go. Look at verse number two, Genesis 19, verse number two. The Bible says, and he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house and tarry all night. Wash your feet. Look at this part. This is interesting. And ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. Don't stay too long. Uh, Abraham said, Don't pass away. Stay a little longer. Stay a little longer. Devotion. A heart of devotion. Lot said, come in. You can't stay on the street. Come in. You've got to come in. And then he said this, get up real early in the morning and you can be on your way. So we find here that Lot said this, I'm going to do what I need to do to get by. This is really inconvenient for me, but I know I need to do it. Now, again, I know we're struggling a little bit tonight. Did you know I'm pretty convinced most Christians serve out of a sense of duty rather than devotion. Most Christians come to church, and I hope there's nobody in here tonight, but most Christians come to church out of a sense of duty rather than a sense of devotion. Most Christians read their Bible, a lot of Christians, let me, let me put it like that, a lot of Christians, not most, but a lot of Christians read their Bible not because they're devoted, but they think, well, I need to do it. Well, I really don't care about coming to Sunday school, but I know I need to. I, I better go. It's my duty. And that's where Lot was. Now, here, here was my question. As I compared these two men, I thought one is serving out of duty. One is serving out of devotion. And I thought, Lord, what's the difference? Why is one man so devoted to, to, to the Lord and the other is just devoted to duty? Well, it's, I got to do it. What made the difference? Can I show you what made the difference? Would you take your Bibles and, uh, and hold your place there? But I want you to turn back a, a few pages to Genesis chapter 12 and look at verse number seven. Genesis chapter 12, verse number seven. Listen, we're about done, so y'all hang on, hang with me. Genesis 12, verse number seven. The Bible says, the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, unto thy seed will I give this land and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him and he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pinched his to having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. Look, look at this. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Turn over one page and look at Genesis 13, verse 18. Genesis 13, verse 18. The Bible says, and Abram removed his, his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Turn over a few pages to Genesis chapter 22. 
and verse number nine. Genesis 22, verse number nine. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, and by the way, and gave his all. Because the Bible says he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him upon the altar, uh, uh, laid, laid him on the altar upon the wood. Wait a minute now, time and time and time again, we see Abraham building an altar. You say, preacher, what's an altar? It was that place where Abraham met with God. It was that place where Abraham stopped and said, I'm, I'm going to, listen, man, I'm going to tell you something. I ain't preaching good tonight, but I'm about to have a, I'm about to have a fit right now. It's that place where Abraham stopped and said, I'm just going to pause everything because, Lord, I want to spend time with you. And I want to just relish in your glory. And I want to just commune with you. And I want to just fellowship with you. And I want to just brag on you. And I want to just praise you. And time and time again, we see Abraham building an altar and communing with the God of gods and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But here's the interesting thing. We never find one place in Scripture where Lot ever built an altar of the Lord. And my point is this. The more you get to know God, the less and less you do things out of duty. And the more you'll serve out of a heart of devotion. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. <laughs> Somebody says, Paul, why do you do what you do? And he said, oh, man. He said, what a joy. Man, what an honor to serve the Lord. Christianity, true Christianity, is not devotion to a work or to a cause or a doctrine, but true Christianity is devotion to a person. The Lord Jesus Christ now, I'm not criticizing duty. Thank God for those who, who serve out of duty. I'm, I'm thankful that you serve out of duty. But listen, the best thing you'll ever do is get out of that place of duty and serving out of a heart of devotion. And I do believe this. I believe the judgment seat of Christ. I believe the greatest rewards will be gained because of devotion. Somebody says to a teenager, teenagers, y'all listen to preacher tonight? Somebody says to a teenager, why do you come to church? Well, mom and dad make me. Well, I'm glad you come. I'm glad you obey your parents. But I want to tell you something. At the judgment seat of Christ, I'm not sure that's going to hold up. I do what I do because I have to do it. It's different when you go to someone and say, why do you come to church? Oh, let me tell you why I come to church. Because, and I, if I could sing it, I'd sing it. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same as his lovely name. And that's the reason why I love him so. Oh, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Somebody says, hey, Sunday school teacher, why do you teach that class every Sunday? Oh, let me tell you why. Jesus is so wonderful. Amen. Can I tell you why I preach that sermon? Can I tell you why I sing in the choir? Can I tell you why I play an instrument? 
Can I tell you why I practice a special? <laughs> because my, my Lord is so wonderful. I, I've got so much more I want to give you tonight. But I'm just going to, I'm going to forego it this evening. There's a difference in devotion and duty. Someone asked, listen to this. Someone asked, how would you feel if God gave us the same amount of time and attention that we devote to him? If God put as many things ahead of us as we put ahead of him? If God offered as many excuses as we do, and if the excuses were no more justifiable than ours, if God's promises were no more certain than ours, and if God withheld his blessings from us as we withhold our offerings from him. What's sobering, isn't it? Someone said a busy person wrote, wrote these words. I came to see that my devotion to my Lord Jesus Christ with the passing of years had eroded away something like a marriage gone humdrum. What did I do when I found a little pocket of square time on a Sunday or a holiday? I couldn't wait to get together with other people, people I liked, people with whom I had something in common so we could share ideas and experiences or read a stimulating book or I went out to enjoy nature. I even plunged further into my work doing things that I normally didn't have time for, but to go to Jesus and to give him first claim on even my spare time, that I did not do. M. Bounds said it like this. The men who have done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees. He who fritters away the early morning, its opportunity and freshness in other pursuits other than seeking God will make poor headway seeking him the rest of the day. If God is not the first in our thoughts and efforts in the morning, he will be the last place the remainder of the day. You say, Pastor, what's this all about? It's about devotion. Not just duty. Thank God you do what you do out of duty. But there's a difference in devotion and duty. You younger kids here tonight won't recognize this. But you old fogies recognize it. This is the, uh, we used to have, Years ago, we used to have the big 33. Was it 33 and a half? 33? 33 and a third. Thank you, old fogies. I appreciate that. <laughs> Brother Seth let Miss Tammy and I stay at their prophet's chamber for a few days this week. And, and uh, we went in, and, and they had an old record player there. And they had the Gethsemane a Quartet, and they had... The marksman, and they had, man, all these old, I mean, man, these old, old records. And, man, we were just playing records all night. It was, it was something. Years ago, when you'd buy one of these old albums, if it was an RCA album, it had this symbol on it. Can I tell you a little bit about that symbol tonight? It was a dog... Sitting in front of a, by the way, they didn't call it a record player. They called it a gramophone. With his head cocked, listening to the sound. 
A fellow by the name of Francis Barrault painted that picture and it became famous. Francis Broad had a brother and his brother owned this dog. And by the way, the dog's name is Nipper, Nipper. And they said that, his, that Francis Broad's brother figured out a way to record his voice on these old records. And then he would play those records on the old gramophone. He died. When he died, Francis Barraud, who painted this picture, he inherited Nipper, and he inherited the gramophone. And they said that long after Nipper's owner had passed away, Francis Barraud would take those old, oh, yes, yes, would take those old records, and he'd put them on that gramophone, and he'd start playing Nipper, the voice of Nipper's former master, And as Nipper heard, oh man, as Nipper heard the voice of his master, and he would sit there, maybe for hours, listening to the voice of his master. Man, when I read that story, I thought, you know what that is? That's like me and you. We're Nipper. And when we come to this place right here, you know what happens? We put the records on the gramophone and the Spirit of God puts the needle down and man, that, it, it starts playing. And you know what happens? He may not be here bodily, but I want to tell you something. We've got his voice. And out of a heart of devotion, we sort of cock our head and we think, oh, Man, I'm telling you, I'm about, to, I'm about to have a Baptocostal fit right now, I'm telling you. And we say, oh, I've heard that voice. I know that voice. That's the voice of the master. Yes, sir. I want to tell you something, Calvary Baptist Church. You say, Pastor, what was the difference between Abraham and Lot? I'll tell you what the difference was, duty and devotion. Abraham knew what the master's voice sounded like. And because of that, he wanted to serve. Hey, do you know the master's voice tonight? Have you heard the master's voice? Are you listening to the master's voice every single day? Let's pray tonight. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. And Lord, thank you for reminding us tonight that this life's not about possessions. Lord, this life's about priority. Lord, it's not about Uh, accumulating stuff. Lord, it's about serving the master.